Well, it's good to gather for worship today. And uh, during Advent, uh, Sarah, as Sarah mentioned, we've been basing this sermon series on a beautiful hymn by Charles Wesley. He wrote it at the end of the 1700s, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We sang that. And then you hear the promises of God and what Christ has done in each of those actions. And it, it's, it's for you. It's for me. It's for us together as well. And so um, we want to take a look at that last uh, sentence, um, which says, Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And so this ushers us in to Matthew uh, chapter 2, and it comes from that gospel, and we see in here the introduction to three people. And so let's begin with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. In Matthew's gospel, we begin to see the people were already being drawn to Jesus Christ. And Jesus made that test of testimony of himself. When I am high and lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. And so we see in Luke's gospel, and we saw that a couple days ago, testifies about the angels proclaiming Jesus' birth to the shepherd in the vicinity of Bethlehem. And this is the outer ring going and bringing in people who are Gentiles, magi from the east, miles and miles to come to worship Jesus Christ, and they are led by a star. I don't know if you walked outside um, last, was it Monday? Yeah, the 21st winter solstice. And I uh, saw Saturn and Jupiter intersecting. And you think about that. Did that happen? Did that happen with these magi? Did they see the same thing that we saw just a few days ago? John Hopkins Jr. identified them in the hymn, three, We Three Kings, who traveled afar, over field and fountain, moor and mountain, following what? Yonder star. And so in the 6th century, these foreign visitors were actually given names. And I want to try to pronounce these names. Melchior, Balthazar, and Gaspar. Western Christians put them in a manger scene, worshiping, offering these priceless gifts. And the Bible referred to them as magi. The Bible doesn't count how many of them there were, <laughs> but they assumed that it was three because three gifts were offered. The term magi stamps them with qualifications in those days. One skilled in philosophy, 
medicine, natural sciences, and also astronomy. They were stargazers, and they knew something big was up and something cataclysmic happened in the sky, and it was the birth of Jesus Christ. And so they came from Persia, which is present-day Iran or Iraq. They were Gentiles, and they were in search of a Jewish king. You think about it, in the heat of the day, in the chill of the night, they traveled, probably just totally, I mean, probably tired of sitting in a saddle, and the skin all dry, maybe even the sun sunburn or whatever it was. They most likely traveled over a year to get there. And they were led to follow. They came seeking and searching. And we don't know the specifics about them. We just know for certain that they had this desire. The desire to find the king of the Jews. And so these first Gentile seekers, these wise men and wise women, uh, or wise men, they, they still seek this Savior. And wise people do that. I remember I was a pastor in Gallipolis, associate, and uh, I tasked Paula Blevins uh, to make my ordination banner. And it said, Christ's ambassador for all people. And it had the, the sacrament, baptism, and holy communion on that banner. And after I saw it, I, I tasked her to make another banner and it was the three wise men traveling and it said the wise still seek him you see there's a hunger in our hearts that are that's never satisfied until we have found our connection with god it's in every human soul and i know it's in me and so we see so many examples across history of that hunger for god that desire Anne Sullivan approached her deaf and blind student, Helen Keller, saying, Today I'm going to teach you about God. And Miss Keller signed to her, Good, I've been thinking about him for a long time. Ex-Beatle, George Harrison, in an interview shortly before his own death, he said, Everything else in life can wait, but my search for God cannot wait. It has to happen right now. And then I read about a mother of a four-year-old. And that four-year-old child pointed to the crucifixion, to crucifix, and said, Mom, what's that man doing hanging there? And she knew it was time to get her children to church and learn about faith and learn about the cross. St. Augustine said this himself, Thou hast made for us thyself, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in thee. I've heard others refer to this God-shaped hunger, this hole inside of heart and soul and the inner self in each of us that can't be filled by anything created, only by the creator himself made known in Jesus Christ. And we must, must remember that. Each one of us has a deep desire down inside of us to connect with the one who has formed us, all of us, in the flesh, in the womb of our mother. Our holy God also removed everything, every obstacle, so that we can have access at one minute with him. And it's symbolized when, the, when Christ died on the cross, that curtain was torn from top to bottom so that we can have access to the holy. And so when we 
when our desire shifts in that way, in desiring God, our lives will be transformed in incredible ways. When the Magi arrive to Israel, naturally they go to the palace. Wouldn't you go to the palace if you were looking for a king? And they don't find him there. They find uh, King Herod, small case, small letter K, and ask him uh, specific directions about where this king was born. And he's only a king given by title by Rome. Rome stamped that upon him. And he was only partly Jewish, and he wasn't from the line of David. And he never really, the people of Judea or the Jewish people never really accepted him as king. And now Herod, he hadn't heard the news that a king had been born. And this news actually just sets him off with alarms beeping everywhere in his life. And actually, it, it did that for everyone. Herod doesn't know what these magi are talking about. What do you mean, this new king? It's been born. And he's thinking, king? I'm the only one of king this, in this area. So Herod calls the chief priests and teachers of the law together. We just read that. And he asked them where this Messiah was to be born. And they say, Bethlehem. And they quote that from Micah 5, too. The Messiah would be born in that place. And Herod, he gets anxious. And it stirs a wrong desire in him. And jealousy begins to boil, and evil begins to increase in him. He doesn't want to lose that power that has been given to him by Rome. And so we read from the scriptures that he'll do anything to keep that power. And instead of grasping and clinging and thirsting for power, Herod should have embraced the repentance for his sins. You see, he was, he's filled, he's an evil man filled with paranoia. Not because, was, not because he was not the rightful heir to the king. He was always afraid of losing that position. And because of these suspicions, he had several of his children and one of his wives killed. And you see how that evil began to reign in him. And there was no repentance to be found. And after he had found out that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, what did he do? What happened? It's just it's horrific. He ordered all the boys under age of two to be murdered. And that's why that holy family fled where? To Egypt. You see, he had no satisfaction in the king of kings. He just wanted to remain in his position. His desire was not for God, but for self-protection and self-preservation. It was all about him and not about God. The only way we can find peace the only way we can find purpose is through the vehicle of repentance and reconciling with God and that will usher in peace that surpasses all understanding in our lives when we repent and we come back to God we'll have a peace that does surpass anything that we can possibly understand. I don't know about you, but I've experienced that in times of of just anxiety and angst in my life. When we repent of our own sinful and selfish ways, it clears a way for us to find that those deep longings and unquenchable thirst and hunger for righteousness comes and we are satisfied, we are filled. 
When we empty ourselves, God makes room for many, many incredible things to grow within us and then be lived out outwardly to those around us. Think about it. All the good things that God desires to fill you and me with. You see, the people of Israel, they were longing They were thirsting. They were hungering for a coming king, a ruler, a Messiah to establish God's kingdom in the world. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 72, and I don't know if you're familiar with Psalm 72. It's a leadership song, actually. And it's sung, I'm not going to sing it. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness, and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people. May the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor for people. Give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations. And may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. I want a king like that. King of justice, a king who defends the cause of the needy and the poor, a king who assists and crushes any type of oppression. I want to be a citizen of that kingdom. I want to be a a citizen that has those kinds of qualities too. And that's what happens, that there's a transference that occurs that this king bestows the benefits upon his people. And that's amazing. That we are ambassadors of these kinds of things. We are ambassadors of righteousness. We are ambassadors of justice. We're defenders of those who are needy and poor. And we absolutely do not have anything to do with any kind of oppression. You see, the Messiah came to rule the earth with righteousness and justice. Jesus has become the ruler, and when he comes and sits on the thrones of our hearts, we cannot help but to live out these actions in a world that needs these things so desperately. And he comes, and he fills the desire, the deepest longing of our hearts. And I think that's what Wesley was really, really getting at. And he saw things around him in that time of history that was very, very disturbing. And he saw that all those things could be found, the solutions were found in Jesus Christ. Let's pick it back up in Matthew 2, verse 7, and see what happens here with Herod and our Magi. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child, As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Can you imagine watching, standing on the side of the wall, 
and watching these three men walk in, the culmination of their journey coming to place in that room. Distant land, seeking, constantly, desire, finally filled. That deep, I can't imagine the, the just the exalting and praise and rejoicing that they experience. You know what? It's the same for us. Desire is the fuel for spiritual growth. How is your desire tank for God right now? I know we can be a little sleepy or we're definitely not hungry. I know I'm not. How's your desire tank spiritually, though? Our journey with Christ is an invitation, an invitation given to us to desire. And if desire is the fuel for spiritual growth, then we need a plan for increasing it. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Our tank can be filled through desire and that spiritual growth. Yes, we do this individually, but also we must spur each other along to do what is right corporately as well. First, we need to stay in the community, in, as it's called by the church, the body of Christ. And we can do that at home with each other in very creative ways. And we've had to do that, haven't we? Day by day, these men did it. They didn't travel by themselves. They traveled together seeking the Christ. Day by day, Western leading, still proceeding, being guided to the perfect light, which is Jesus Christ. You know, we begin our journey, and I know I did, by faith alone, making a decision personally, but then it automatically shifts us into the body of Christ corporately, into community. Faith journeying has always been about being and staying in community together. And I think that's been the most difficult thing. I know for me, COVID-19, it's hard to stay in close community with Christians. I'm very, very extroverted. And I draw energy from being with people. And it's been tough at times. I remember in July, I was quarantined for two weeks. I thought I was going to go nuts. I did. Just walk around. You know, you can only have a community so long, right, with, with your family. But your desire, those spiritual brothers and sisters, our, our staff, it was just we, we spur each other along in righteousness together. And we can't stop meeting together. Whether it's through Zoom or meeting outside when the weather is warm, we have to spur each other along in this journey of life. And we could do that, yes, at home. But also, we have to do that together in small groups or what we call here at Anderson Hills, life groups. You see, the Bible does say it's we spur one another along to love and good deeds. We also need to stay in God's word together. I love the fact that we have access to the Bible reading plan. That we can go to our smartphone. And we can access the Bible reading plan in our smartphone through Anderson's app or on the website. And what do we do? Each day, we read the same scripture together. 
and we get to start a new journey tomorrow. I'll introduce that at the end of the, the service. But it's just amazing that even though we might experience some kind of quarantining, we still are doing that together as a body of Christ here at Anderson Hills. We have to stay in God's word every day. And it feeds that desire, that spiritual fire and our spiritual growth. God's word changes us. It gets on the, in the inside of us and it transforms our desires to God's desires. And if we remain outside the wor- word, we're going we're gonna to start develop these nasty habits of desiring what the world desires rather than what the true God, Jesus Christ, desires in us. You see, it's so easy to become like Herod, being self-centered, constantly focused on self-protection. God's word keeps us calibrated, keeps us center, centered in protectors of the least of these, protectors on what is true and good. We also need to make worship a daily habit as well. Worship is, and I, like, I love that word calibration. It does. It calibrates us. It centers us on the one true God and keeps us from worshiping idols And I think COVID has enabled us to develop some bad habits when it comes to corporate worship as well. It's too easy these days to sleep in on Sunday, isn't it? I have to admit, I did that like in March and in April and May. (laughs) I think we have to have a posture where we have our lives bowed down in worship to the one true God, whether here physically or watching at home. We need to prepare our lives to come before the throne of God. And I believe it is antiseptic for the weak. I miss something. I feel like I'm missing something when I don't worship together with you guys. And come up here and have the freedom to clap. And I usually do it out of rhythm. And and it's just one of those things that just elevates my soul. Being beside my family and doing that. See, worship's a lifestyle for us. It's a posture of putting our lives before God. And so, Matthew tells us that when these magi, when these magi saw the star above that house, they probably knocked on that door, heart beating, rapping, and walking in. And what did they do? The longing was filled with joy. The first thing they did is they worshiped. They humbled themselves. They bowed down. They gave Jesus Christ these priceless gifts. It's been said that these gifts were thousands and thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars in value. You see, when we worship the Lord and offer him all that we are, God will transform our longing hearts. And as we surrender to God, we find that we will want more of God. And that's what Wesley was writing there at the end. And so what lessons can we learn from these magi? First thing is, like magi, we have to seek Christ. Pursuing. Constantly. Putting aside everything in order to get to him and seek him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love on him. And like the magi, we must behold his truth and grace. You see... Be lovers of God. Be lovers of truth. You'll find that you'll be a lover of what is noble 
and true, and you'll be an ambassador of that. Bow down and worship. That's what these, these men did. They worshiped him with all that they had, and they offered their, their gifts with, with joy. I don't know about you, but man, you put that in the offering plate, or you give through uh, CCB, or give through online app. Do it with joy. Push that enter button. Woohoo! I'm giving. And they did that. And I'm sure they laid these things down at the, the feet of that baby. And they did it with joy in their hearts. They found joy in those longing hearts. And when we do that, our restless hearts will find rest and true joy. And our faith will absolutely flourish and continue to grow. You see, Jesus Christ is the desire of every nation. He is drawing all unto himself. And when we seek him, I guarantee it's his promise. We will find him. And our lives will never be the same. And when we do worship him, he will fill up the desires of our hearts until that water just flows out, that living water of Jesus Christ. I love Psalm 37, verses 3 through 6. Look at this with me together. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. You know, this is the last week of 2020, and I'm sure many of you and you at home are going, woohoo! <laughs> wow. Let's journey into 2021 like these, these magi. Let's do that together as the body of Christ. Let's do that. Come thou long, expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Let's pray together. God, we're on a threshold, standing, about to step in to 2021. You have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We ask that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit and that in this life, we may live for your glory and in the life to come enjoy you forever. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord who is alive with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.